0: Today's reading comes to us from the book of Romans. Glory to you, O Lord. Romans chapter 6. What then shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. The word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As Shirley read for us, our gospel lesson once again is Matthew's take on Jesus going down to the river and being baptized by John the Baptist. You heard it in Advent from Luke's version, and you'll hear it twice again in Lent. So I thought to myself, Instead, why don't we talk about what baptism actually means out of Paul's writings in Romans. This week, in seven days, I had four funerals. And in those four funerals, I read the words that we heard today from Romans. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him in in this death, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Four families were reminded of that promise. Four families were reminded of those words that are given to us in this water. Baptism. Something that I think a lot of us can take for granted. Amen? Amen? And we're not going to get into a debate about adult baptism versus infant baptism. As Lutherans, we bring, the, we bring them to the font whenever the family so chooses. Amen? Because it is a gift that is given from God to us. Whether that's a little infant child in mom or dad's arms whether that's a young adult or a full-grown adult or an elderly person who has never received those words, has never had that water sprinkled on their heads, with the promises given, you are a beloved child of God and you will never be separated from him. But how then do we live? How do we live in that baptism? As Paul says in this sixth chapter, We must understand what's going on in the first five chapters. In the first five chapters, what Paul is doing is he is absolutely reminding us of who we are as created beings, created in line with Adam, Adam and Eve. And out of our created beings, out of our natural sinful nature, we are born into death. Because the wages of sin are... But Christ came in to provide something else. He went down to that river to set the mark of what it means to live a life alongside, in response, and through him. It is in our faith, and as Paul reminds us, that in those waters of baptism, we are literally set to be drowned to our sin. Paul keeps saying we are dead to sin. Uh, It is in the baptism waters that we die to our sin. The Greek word is actually drowned. It's we are drowned in our sin. Martin Luther argued that in an ideal world, every single day we should wake up and go down to that baptismal font and be washed again. Now, Luther is not advocating that we be re-baptized. In fact, after Christmas Eve, I had this unique moment. Uh, One of our young ladies in this congregation ran up to me after worship. I don't know what it was about Christmas Eve that inspired her to ask this, but she came up. She goes, Pastor Craig, I need to talk to you someday soon. And I said, about what? She said, I, I want to be rebaptized. I go, No, you do not. <laughs> right? Luther would argue that in an ideal world we should be drowned to our sins every single day. But he's not saying that that requires us to be rebaptized. When we're rebaptized, who are we making it about? Us. It's about us. And I'm not saying that to condemn the young lady that asked that. I think she just didn't realize that really what's at stake. What's at stake is that there is a gift that comes from God to us. There is only one person who can take away the condemnation of the sin that we walk in, and that is Christ and Christ alone. So when that gift is given to us, it is only God who can take it away, and God promises that that gift, that promise will never be taken away. One and done. You are washed, cleansed, and most importantly, set free. Set free in Christ. Set free from sin. Oh dear pastor, but what about the sins of the world? If I'm truly set free from sin, why is it that sin is still a part of my life? Why is it that sin still affects my life? Why is it that I still struggle With the addictions in life or the jealousies in life or the anger that I harness and the lack of being able to forgive, Lord. Or why is it that sin is still there? If you tell me and we hear those words that in baptism we are washed of sin, we are set free from sin, then why is it still a part of my life? Why is it that alcoholism is still so rampant for so many families, even the baptized? Why is it that drugs are such a pervasive coping mechanism? This bleeding bandage that we place over the pain and the void in our life time and time again, even to those who are baptized. Why is it that porn addictions and sexual misconduct are so prevalent in families, so prevalent in individuals, and it's so intimate. It's one of the most difficult things to ever confess and bring to that table, but it's something that is so much more pervasive. I guarantee there are people in these pews that are grappling with this, even those of us who are baptized. So Jesus, what do you mean that my sins are washed clean? The consequences are. Amen? I love how quiet that amen was. Because amen means it's true. And obviously we struck a chord because we weren't sure if we say amen to that one. We are, brothers and sisters in Christ, set free in those waters of baptism. We're set free from the consequences of sin. Therefore, we ask the question, then, how do we live in response to that? We live as though every day we are dead. Sounds bold, sounds crass, sounds odd, but there is nothing more dangerous in this world than someone who is genuinely not afraid of death. If you ever wonder, talk to our law enforcement guys that sit in the back to do some of the hardest work. There is nothing more dangerous than someone who is not afraid. Amen? But sometimes that can be an absolute gift. There are two people I've met in my career as a pastor that have had those out of body, uh, near death experiences and their stories are fascinating both of which were in surgery. Now, we've heard those stories. Of course, science and medicine would debate and say that there's logical explanations behind be, between this. I don't give a damn about the logical explanations. Excuse my French. There is nothing more beautiful and profound than to listen to someone talk about the peace they have when they've entered into those gates for a moment and then the anxiety they have when they realize they got to go back. I asked them, I said, what was that like? And they said, the most freeing thing in my life. And I asked I said, what, what, what about it is freeing? And they said, that gift, that heavenly promise, that moment is so true. What do I have to worry about in this life? Out of all of the struggles, one of the individuals in particular really struggled in life with addiction, with drugs and alcohol. He said, if God is forgiving me enough that I had this moment where I got to hang out with him for ten minutes, and he said that he loved me, he said that I'm forgiven, he said that I am blessed, and that there is a moment in which we will get to do this again, we will meet again, if it's good enough in that moment, by golly, why am I clinging to the things of this life? And he's a changed man. He's changed because he realizes that the comfort that our decisions that are often bound to our sins, that the comforts of this earth pale in comparison to standing in the glory of God. It changes us. The question we've got to ask ourselves is, do we believe it? One of my favorite professors always defines sin as this. Sin is, ca- is captured in one word, disbelief. Disbelief. Disbelief that God is enough. Disbelief that the way God created you to be is enough. Disbelief that God genuinely accepts you and loves you. Disbelief that you are forgiven. Disbelief that you matter. Disbelief that you exist. All of our sins are captured in that phrase, that word, disbelief. This week, the reason why I believe that for historical years on end, the words that I read in Romans 6 appear in the liturgy of funerals. It's because this week, four families were reminded that we are dead to our sins right here. And we are made alive in Christ. Now, if Christ comes back from the dead, Christ said that it was going to happen, and it certainly did. If Christ comes back to the dead, and Christ tells us that we are united with him in baptism, then we certainly are united with him in resurrection like his. Amen? It is the words in Roman that are given to us as a gift. And so we give thanks for those four families. We give thanks that they now get to live into that gift. But before we too get to that point, I ask that we all consider to live into that gift each day. I want to take it a step further. I want us to continue into verse 12 that was not on the screen that I read. But I'm going to back up to verse 10 and 11. Paul says this, The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace." The ability to walk away from our sins. The ability to acknowledge the things that, tem- that tempt us, give us temptation in life. The ability to finally say no and step away. Why? Not because your salvation depends on it. If, that, if, if that's where we're still clinging, then obviously I have failed in every word I've said to you this morning. It's not about, about our salvation, but when we have that ability to finally step aside and say, I'm going to live... In Christ because Christ is in me and I am free in Christ then that is that ultimate mark of spiritual maturity and I think the danger of the times we live in is we are very spiritually immature for the vast majority of Christianity we have so many self-proclaimed Christians but so many immature Christians brothers and sisters in Christ take strength in those baptismal words. Take strength and be dangerous knowing that you are free from death. There's nothing more dangerous than being absolutely worry-free about death. Because death is the beginning of new life. Death is actually the beginning of true life. So today when we leave this space, we tame our tongues when we'd rather speak ill of someone or lash out when we leave this space we tame our eye rolls and we exchange them for compassion and care when we leave this space we step away from the temptations as hard as it might be and if it's so difficult that it is that difficult then we seek help we ask for help We align ourselves with people in our lives who are spiritually mature, who walk with us, guide us, care for us, nurture us, and bring us to the professionals to help us navigate to be well ourselves. It's a gift. Let us live into that gift. Thanks be to God.